If you'd like to open up your Bibles to Psalm 63, which is on page 579. Psalm 63, page 579. Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I'll praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him. While the mouths of liars will be silenced. What does one day on planet Earth look like? We're going to watch a little video all about that. It's like it's as though you were standing outside the universe looking in. We're not just a speck here. We're not even a speck in a speck, okay? We're a speck in a speck in a speck. May the 7,000 actions of our brothers and sisters from around the globe on the most widespread day of environmental action in the planet's history make a significant difference. One community trying to exist apart from all other communities is not in any way acknowledging the entirety of existence and how it depends, everything depends on everything. All of these Thousands, thousands of different minds, different views, different thoughts interconnected.
I love this idea of one day on planet Earth. There's so much diversity there, isn't it? You know, a billion different things going on. You know, for, for one person, their day could be completely different to the next person. And yet there's this kind of unity about humanity, isn't there? One day, and we have this common experience as human beings on this planet. What does one day on Earth li- look like for a Christian? One day on planet Earth. That's what Psalm 63 is about. We have a day in the life of David, who is the king of Israel. In verse 6, we meet him at night time. You get this kind of, oh, I'm on my bed, I remember you. And in verse 1, we actually get hints that it's the morning. Earnestly I seek you. The word has this idea of early as well. So we get early seeking God, and then we get on his bed at night time as well. So we've got a day in the life of King David. Now, it might sound odd for me to say this is going to teach us about what it's like to be a believer in 24 hours, because this is King David. He's hardly typical fella, isn't he? King of Israel thousands of years ago. And this psalm particularly relates to this traumatic experience when he was in the desert, probably when he got kicked out of the city by his own son. It's traumatic, but it's hardly typical. It's hardly you and me, is it? In some ways, that's true. But there's something about the king in Israel, king over God's people, that is different to any other king. Because you think, I don't kind of particularly resonate with our royal family. I don't, I don't know how you feel. But I don't think, you know, typical kind of guys, you know, living a normal kind of life. But the king of Israel was supposed to be a kind of representative of his people. He was supposed to be a typical believer, someone following God. And so actually, if we have 24 hours in the life of King David, we've got 24 hours on planet Earth as a believer. Now, I really want to know what one day on Earth looks like for someone who follows God, someone who's a Christian. Because sometimes I wonder if I'm missing something. Where are you? But sometimes I think, what am I supposed to be experiencing? What is life supposed to be like for me now that I'm following Jesus? What should I be feeling? Should I suffer? Should I succeed? How should I react to the hundred different situations I find myself in in a week? What is a day on earth for a Christian? So what we're going to do in this psalm is we're going to follow the kind of ebb and flow of David's day, the different experiences that he has. And we're going to see how he reacts. What does it look like to be a believer on earth? But first, we're going to take a look where David starts. And this is really important and I think pretty stunning. Okay, have a look at verse 1 with me. This is where he starts. You, God, are my God. Now he's about to say how he's longing for God, he's in need, and he's desperate for God, but don't miss how he starts. You, God, are my God. It's not, uh, some of the Psalms are like this, I'm desperate, I'm longing for you, you seem so far away, blah, blah, blah. you, God, are my God. No, he gets to the kind of desperation stuff, but he starts here. You, God, are my God. There's something solid, something he can already say at the beginning of this day. There's fact of reality for him before he gets to his particular feelings and experiences. And his fact, his starting point for his day is this. God is his. He can address God directly. This goes on throughout the psalm. You, God. You, 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 you. It's personal. You, God, are my God. God, personal. Now, um, if I were to walk into, uh, say, the library down here, John Harvard Library, we've been, we've just moved to the area, and little Rosie, who you heard laughing at Johnny's jokes and stuff, uh, they've got little kids groups down there, and if we went down 
and there's other little kids in the background reading their little books. And maybe I get to know some of the kids. I'll be like, hey, that's little Barry. I don't know if you call kids Barry these days. <laughs> uh, little Hermione or whatever. And they're Bert, but then Rosie, you're Rosie. You're my Rosie, your daughter. Out of all of the other kids, she's mine, and there's something special, something different about that. David doesn't just start his psalm, psalm saying, God is God. That's true. God is God. He starts by saying, you are my God. If you're trusting in Jesus to forgive you, to open the way back to God, that's what it means to be a Christian. God is yours. God is yours. That's what you have. The sun rises in the morning, and what have you got? You've got God Almighty. Love, power, justice, goodness, and absolute perfection forever are found in him. And the alarm goes off, and you're bleary-eyed. And what have you got? You've got God. <laughs> there may be no one lying beside you when you wake up, when you wish there were. There may be hard times just hours away. But when the first rays of sun come through the cracks of the curtains, you wake up as a Christian, and you have God. How can we be so sure? Because the Son of God died on the cross. And when he died, he cried out this. He said, my God, my God, addressing the Father, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, deserted me? He's saying, you, you God, you God, have turned your face away from me. And because for that moment, Jesus was forsaken by his Father, in our place, as surely as tomorrow will come, those of us who trust in Jesus will be able to say, will never ever say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Think about that. You will never, ever have to take that on your lips. God, you deserted me. My God, you've forsaken me. Because Jesus took those words for you. He took that experience for you. This is what we have. You God are my God. Every single day. No exception. Every day we have on earth, we get to spend with God. We go through the trials we cry, we suffer, but with God as our God. We smile, we laugh, we have good times with God as our God. What's your starting point for your day on planet Earth as a human being? What's that kind of basic fact that just shapes your life, that defines your day? <clears throat> Maybe you're someone who always starts with your situation. So your first thought when you wake up is, your worry, your anxiety, those things you've got to do, the stuff coming up, and you're, you just, that panic over what's coming up. Maybe that's your starting point for every day. Or the flip side of the same thing, your first thought is, this stuff's coming up, but I'm going to fix it. You've got a plan, you're pretty confident in yourself, and you're going to fix these things. Is that, is that how you start? Either way, it's anxiety, or you're going to fix it. The starting point for your day is the situation you're going to find yourself in. Is that how you start? Is that your fact of life? Maybe your starting point is your, your guilt. In your life with God on this earth, you, you view everything through this lens of failure. You know, you, you, your fact for the day is, well, I'm going to fail today. I'm going to let God down. And I don't just mean a kind of healthy, humble awareness of our sin and failure before God. We should have that. But I mean a, when the totality of what God has done for us in Christ just hasn't sunk in. You know, maybe each day is a day to fail rather than a day to live as a child of the king. Do you know what I mean? That's your fact for the day. I'm, I'm going to screw it up. Is that the basic fact for you? Your perception of God's disappointment with you? 
every one of us will struggle in some way to start the way David starts his day. You know when you go on Facebook and the first thing that comes up um, is, hey, Phil, how you doing? It's kind of the filling your love thing. It, now, Facebook doesn't have a voice, but if it had a voice, it would be, hey, how's, how's it going? I see you put your little thing in, what I'm doing today, how I'm feeling. What is that for you? How do you fill that in in your mind? How are you today? What is today for you? Is it your success? Is it your failure? Is it your anxiety? Is it what you can do? Is it your job? Is it nothing? Is your life feeling just kind of empty? David starts here. This is his fact. God, you are my God. And for us, that's a fact that's been secured by Jesus Christ. So this starting point for David is... It's kind of like his anchor for a ship. His anchor that he needs as he experiences the ebb and flow of different things on, going on in his life as a believer. And we're going to come to those now. So we're going to follow him. We've got this anchor in place. God, you're my God. And we're going to follow through three dynamics of one day on planet Earth for David. So here's the first dynamic that we see. He's hungry and he's satisfied. Hungry and satisfied. Have a look with me. Verses 1 to 5. So, his starting point. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there's no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I'll lift up my hands. I will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. He earnestly seeks after God. So while it, his Christian life has this dynamic of, I'm sure God is my God, and that's never going to change, and for us that's because of Jesus Christ, it's never going to change. At the same time, he's got this longing for God. He has God, but also he's longing for God. Do you see that? He earnestly seeks after him. Now imagine him just waking up in Israel, <coughs> bleary-eyed, and as he gets up, there's this kind of feeling of this longing in his stomach, this desire for God. For him, he describes it like being in a desert. You know, if you've ever just been so unbelievably thirsty, your mouth is it's like you've been chewing dust. You just want this little bit of saliva just to take the edge off the dryness. That's how he feels for God. And he's consumed with this because he feels, in a good way, dissatisfied with his experience of God. He can't clearly see and feel and know God's power and his goodness. I think this is a really good longing. This is a good thing. Now, if you've ever spent any time away, significant time away from someone you love, you might know a little bit of what he's feeling. If you told me that I had to spend a year away from my wife, Vicky, I, I couldn't face it. I would say no, whatever it is. I'm, I'm not spending a year on the other side of the world, for example, from my wife. Now, does it honor Vicky if the idea of a year apart from her just doesn't bother me? Oh, yeah, a year away from you. You're my wife, but a year apart's not a problem. No, it honors her that that would bother me. I couldn't stand being so far apart from her. It would be unbearable. And that honors her, doesn't it, as my wife. Now, life on earth for the Christian, in some ways, is life at a distance from God. Yes, we can say, you, God, are my God. Just like I could say, you, Vicky, are my wife. But there's a reason the Bible ends the way it does. This is how it ends. Jesus says, I'm coming soon. And the believers respond, Amen, come Lord Jesus. We're not at home yet. We're not with God. David was in the desert, remember? That's where this psalm is taking place. Far from the temple, which is where God dwelt for them in those days. 
And we're in the desert of this world. We're far from the new creation. We're far from this future where we will be with God, with his presence. And here's the thing. We should honor God with this hunger, this thirst, our spiritual appetites groaning for more of God. Do you long for more of God? Have you settled for the portion you have, the knowledge you have of him, the taste you have of his love? If I'm apart from Vicky, I don't just want a postcard from her. It's nice, it's a postcard from B. I want to hear her voice. So I'm going to get an international call card or whatever and, and call her because I want to hear her voice. I want more. But these days I can use Skype even better. Then I can see her face. I can hear her voice and see her face. I want more and more to know her because well, she's my wife. And so I want a greater experience of her. Well, this is my God. We honour God with this holy hunger that says, you God are my God and I want to know more of you. I want to Skype. I want to see your face. I want to know you more. Do you see? David's life on earth is one of hunger, but also satisfaction. He sees God. Look at this. Maybe this is the Skype moment. Verse 2. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. I've beheld you. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. David is in the desert and he thinks back to the temple back in Jerusalem. Like I said, that's where God (laughs) dwelt for them. That's where he was. He's not there. He's not at home. But yeah, he can see. I know, I know your power and glory. Yes, I saw it with my eyes. I saw it painted before me in full technicolor. I know your glory. I've seen it. And as Christians, what do we do when we're far from home? We're not with God. We think back to Christ, don't we? We think back to the cross. We think back to the resurrection of Jesus. My God, I long to be satisfied in you. Where shall I go? How can I see you? Yeah, I've seen your power. Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. He defeated death. He's forgiven me all my sin. I see Yeah, I see the resurrection. I know Jesus rose from the dead. I know he's glorious. I know he's powerful. I know he's alive and he's my God. I see, I see. And so this holy hunger, more of you please, turns to satisfaction. Have a look at verses three to five. So he sees God, he remembers him, and then he gets satisfied. Verse three, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. David makes this kind of comparison. Life versus the love of God. It's a kind of cosmic satisfaction competition. Life versus the love of God. Life on earth for the believer means knowing that life on earth comes second in this satisfaction competition. Your love is better than life itself. If I was on the other side of the world from Vicky, I would swap anything to be with her again. David would swap life itself to know a little bit more of God. Would you swap anything to enjoy the love of God more? Let me change that question slightly. Do you swap everything to enjoy the love of God more? Because if we're Christians, that's what our life is. Pursuit of knowing God more and more. David would swap everything. Would we swap everything? If we don't consider God's love to be the most satisfying thing in our life on earth, is it because we're devoting our hearts to other things more than him? Because life has lots to love about it. This isn't denying that, that there's food, there's family, there's 
There's job satisfaction. There's satisfaction in so many things in the earth. And they're all things God created. But is God's committed love for you displayed in the death of Jesus for you the sweetest, the most satisfying love, most satisfying thing in life? Well, how do I know? How do I kind of look at myself and go, I don't know. Am I, is God most satisfying to me? We can tell what satisfies us by what we praise. Okay? I mean, if, if I have... And I, I, okay, I did this to John T. the other day. John T. our pastor, he's away in the moon. Uh, I really like coffee. We're just talking about good coffee. Okay, so I, I use AeroPress. This is such a niche illustration. I'm, this is off the top of my head. Okay, AeroPress is a nice way to make coffee. Okay, so I enjoy grinding my beans and doing it. Now, John T. puts milk in his coffee, and I've got an issue with that because I know a lot of people have milk in coffee, but this is so good that the milk would ruin it. And I go on. A, I'm going on about my coffee now because I really like my coffee. And so John T. came over the other day, and I was like, John T. Just this once, please don't put milk in it. I just, I just want you to try this coffee for what it is so you can taste the fruity berry notes or whatever it was. I love my coffee, so I go on about it. I, I think it's the nicest coffee that there is. And so I made him have it without milk, and he did have it without milk. He didn't say anything afterwards. But this is what we do. What we love, what satisfies us is what we praise. We talk about it. Everyday life with God for David is satisfaction that leads to praise. Look at that, verse 3. He's got his competition. Your love is better than life. What happens? My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I lift up my hands. That's like an act of worship. I will be satisfied as with richest of foods, satisfaction. Then what? With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. You know Vicky is the most precious woman on this planet to me because I will talk about her in a way that I won't talk about any other woman. She has the reserve of my highest praise, my sweetest words. And you'll have people in your life, friends, family, whoever it is, who are just so special to you. There's just no one like them. And you talk about them in a way that you wouldn't talk about anybody else. In our life on earth, God should have the reserve of our sweetest songs, our highest praise. Can I ask a question? Do you ever tell God that you love him? And I maybe for guys... The idea of telling anyone you love them is kind of weird. But in prayer, before God, say, I love you because you are stunning. What you've done for me, who you are, I love you. I um, spent a bit of time in in Vietnam, and we lived with this family. And um, every time we had a meal, they prayed. Christians often do that. And at the end of the prayer, the the dad who often prayed, he's called Art, he, he would often pray, just finish with, Jesus, we love you every single time and it really made an impression on me just really natural really heartfelt Jesus I love you if you hear this dynamic of hunger for God and satisfaction in him and you think well it's all very nice and I'd love it but it's not normal Christian life right certainly not realistic when times are hard when I'm suffering remember where David is he's in the desert he's probably been driven out of the city by his own son. We're going to see later. People are trying to kill him. So life's not rosy and he's going, oh yeah, things are really good. Oh, I love you, God. No, this is when he's, everything else has been taken away. I'm satisfying God. I don't stop, think he stops feeling this hunger for God, but he knows where to go. He knows what to gaze upon. He's hopeful. I will be satisfied. I will praise you. So what does this kind of hunger to satisfaction look like for us? Maybe it's this. Maybe we wake up early in the morning and we're hungry for God. We can open up our Bibles, we can see in any passage in the Bible his power and his glory. 
look at Christ, look at what he's done. And we can say to God at the start of our day, God, I know that you are better than anything this day has to offer me. I love you. Help me praise you all the day long. It could be as simple as that prayer. Maybe it means this. In that temptation to sin, in that, that moment of temptation to disobey God and to go our own way, you say, no, God is my God. The satisfaction he brings is better than anything this anger or, or lying or whatever it is will offer me. No, I'm satisfied him more than in anything in life. David goes, you God are my God. I hunger for you and I'm satisfied in you. So your day on planet Earth as a Christian draws to an end. The sun goes down, you put on your onesie, you get out your you have a cup of whiskey or Horlicks or however you finish your day, I don't know what it is. And you get some Netflix and you're in bed and you're watching Netflix and then you go to sleep. Light off. Everything's quiet. Except your head and your heart. They're not ready for bed yet. Your body might be ready to stop, but your mind is going. Your emotions are still going. You can't leave that conversation behind that you had earlier in the day. You can't stop worrying about your son, your daughter, your elderly parents, or whoever it is. You still feel those biting words from that conversation you had earlier. That big life decision still hasn't been made, and it's as clear as mud in the night as it was in the day. You wish you could just switch off, but around and around you go. You are internally awake and restless. That's where David is next on his day on earth as planet um, as a believer. So here's the next dynamic in the Christian life. Sleepless and safe. Have a look at verse 6. On my bed at night, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. So in his sleeplessness, David turns his mind to God. I remember you. And as the clock ticks on, except they didn't have clocks, but as the night went on, I thought maybe he'd have a sundial, but it's nighttime, so the sundial's not going to work either. But the night goes on, and his mind is whirring. And what does he say? I think of you. Now remember his starting point for his day. God, you are my God. And do you see now how he takes God, you are my God, that fact, and he takes it into his restlessness and sleeplessness at night time. God, you are my God. I'm going to think of you. I'm going to put my mind on you. And God is his help, verse 7. You are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. He imagines, like Johnny reminded us, of this kind of great bird with strong wings and the little baby bird nestling in safe under these big, strong wings. But it's even stronger than that. Look what he does. Verse 8. He hugs onto God. I cling to you. Now, this is Rosie's favorite way of being carried. It's kind of scoop her up, one arm, and she holds on. And it's really nice. She just, she just holds on. And you know what? It's really easy for me to do that. It's really easy for, me, for Vicky. We're like five times the size of her. We're bigger. It's easy. She's like, I'm holding on. And we're like, yeah, I'm carrying you. It's easy. Do you know that it's dead easy for God to look after you? He's like ten times your size. It's, it's easy for him. David moves from his restless sleeplessness to God's utter capability to deal with whatever the issue is. Most likely people are trying to kill him, like I said. That's pretty big, right? <laughs> but then he's lying there, he remembers. God's at least ten times my size. I can cling to him. I'm like this little toddler clinging to my daddy who just scoops me up with his big, strong hands, and I cling to him. 
this dynamic of one day on earth as a Christian, this particular bit about sleeplessness resonates with me. You might not struggle literally with sleeplessness and anxiety, but when I'm going through periods in life where there's a lot in my mind, I really struggle. Vicky is out like a light. She's asleep. I'm awake. I'm going. My mind is going over and over the issues. Maybe you don't struggle with that, but we all struggle with our anxiety. I think the challenge here from David in his life on earth is to be proactive, to kind of fight this anxiety. So here's what I've tried. Um, Vicky and I, we, we always pray together we go, before we go to sleep. We, we always finish the day praying. Um, but recently I just thought, you know what, I need, I need more than that. I, I need to hear God. I, I want some scripture. So we've got this little book um, which has some psalms in it and a little kind of explanation, a little prayer. And we just do that together. So literally I'm on my bed remembering God. I'm, I'm having this scripture. And so then I close my eyes and I go to sleep. And Well, I don't go to sleep. That's the problem. And my mind's worrying about what's coming up or what's just happened. And I, But no, I've got this... I've got these verses that I've just read. And I literally, I'm imagining my head, no God, I give this over to you. No God, I'm done with this for the day. Your God, I give this over to you. And I just have to do that over and over again. Maybe that's just me. I doubt it. We can give things over to God, quite literally, as we're asleep. Just notice one big thing with me here for David in his sleeplessness. David's awake at night. What doesn't happen? It's always hard to look for things that don't happen. He doesn't fall asleep. Have you noticed that? He doesn't say, I remembered you, and then I kind of got cozy, and yeah, it was all right, I was asleep. This isn't about the troubles and sleeplessness necessarily going away, but it's about where our mind and our hearts turn to in those moments. Instead of staying awake anxious, what does he do? He stays awake resting. Stay awake resting in God. Whether we struggle with actual sleeplessness or not, one day on earth for the Christian this constant ebb and flow of anxiety to rest, sleeplessness to safety. But God doesn't know how it feels to be me. He doesn't know what it is to be sleep. God doesn't do sleeplessness, does he? He's God. Maybe you remember the moment when Jesus, the Son of God, was in the Garden of Gethsemane. This was the night before he was going to be crucified. He was going to be killed. He knew it, right? He, he knew this was going to happen. Not only that, he was going to suffer the wrath of his father on the cross. And the night before, he was awake. His disciples all fell asleep, but he was awake. And he, he says he was troubled to the point of death. He, he was sweating blood. He was so anxious about what was going to happen. He knew what was coming. But he prayed and he trusted God and he did exactly what David did here. So Jesus has actually walked this road before us. He's done sleepless, sleeplessness and trusting in God, and he can help us do it too. One day on earth. You God are my God. I hunger and I'm satisfied. I'm sleepless, sleepless, but I'm safe. And here's the final dynamic of David's life on earth. Fear and joy, being afraid and joyful. Okay, so at the end of the psalm, he gets a little bit more specific about his situation. Have a look with me. Verse 9. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him, while the mouths of lies will be silenced. So he's the king of Israel, and people are out to kill him. This happened a lot to him. 
Now, when we started, we said that for the believer, there's nothing we encounter in life, joy or sadness, anything that we don't encounter with God being our God. That's his fact. Now, can you see how that really anchors David in this situation? Okay? His perspective here is all about God's justice. Those who want to kill me as the king will be destroyed. This is by God. This is ultimate justice. They will go down to the depths of the earth. Here's his perspective. God's my God. They will not get away with this. There is ultimate justice. Life on earth with God doesn't make the troubles go away. But we do know that life on earth isn't the end of the story. And that's important. The fate of those who oppose God's king is to be silenced. Did you see that in verse 11? The very end. The mouths of liars, those who are opposing the king, will be silenced. Can I say if you're here this evening and you're trying to live your life with on this earth without God, then be clear that life on earth is not all there is. There is ultimate justice. God is there and he will call every one of us to account. And if you're not on the king's side, if we're not on Jesus' side, then we're not on God's side. If we can't start each day saying, God, you are my God, then we will carry on the same way into eternity saying, God, you are not my God. God, you are not my God. And we will not have his love. We will not have his favor. We will just have his justice against us. The call here is turn to Jesus. Turn to the king that God has given us. Don't fight against him. We can't fight against God's king. It won't end well for us. God offers to all of us today this anchor, this fact that you can start your day and every single day until you die and into eternity with this fact that God is my God, that he can satisfy me beyond anything on this earth and that he can turn my sleeplessness and my anxiety to joy and rest. That is what God offers us in Jesus. Will we trust him? So David's fear of those who are trying to kill him, it turns to joy. Verse 11 you see the, the but? So, so um, judgment is going to fall on those opposing, but verse 11, but the king will rejoice in God and all who swear by God will glory in him. The king will rejoice and everybody who trusts in God will glory. The killers haven't gone away, but neither has joy in God. So I think this is the challenge. Don't let our circumstances of fear drive us away from joy, but to more joy in God. Where else can you find solid joy when everything else is crumbling away than in God? He's the only thing that doesn't change. C.S. Lewis spoke about the Christian life in terms of being awake. So if you're feeling sleepy, this is the moment to wake up. Being awake. Before we know Christ, he talks about it this way, and this is what the Bible describes, that we're kind of sleepwalking through life on earth. We're awake, but not really. We think we can see everything clearly, but we're actually bleary-eyed. We live life as if this is it, what's right in front of me, as if I'm the center of the universe. We're too sleepy to see that God is there. And then Christ just wakes us up to the fullness of reality, of God, of sin, of justice, of grace, of Christ, of resurrection, of eternity and hope. We're awake now. Our senses have been ignited to know and feel reality as God tells it in the Bible. Now we see, now we're awake. I think that's a brilliant picture of what it is to be a Christian. To be awake to everything that God tells us about the world. Okay, but here's his challenge. This is what C.S. Lewis says, and I think this is the challenge of Psalm 63. He says, the real labor is to remember 
and to attend to the presence of God. In fact, to come awake, and here it is, still more, to remain awake. This psalm is a call to remain awake. Remain awake to what's really real, to what God has told us about life and eternity and existence. If as Christians we find ourselves with a a different starting point to our day other than the fact of our relationship with God, if we're more satisfied in other things other than stunning love of God, if we're sleeplessly anxious and we're clinging to our own plans and schemes instead of clinging to God, if when we're faced with troubles we're gripped with fear and we have no hope in God anymore, is it because we're kind of sleepy, actually? Are we waking up each morning but not actually waking up? To be awake is to have the true perspective that God brings to every aspect of life. Fear, satisfaction, joy. God has something to say about all of those things. So we can rise each day. It's Monday tomorrow. If you're trusting in Christ, we can wake up and say this. You God are my God. I see that. I know it. I hunger for you. I see my need for you. I see your power and glory in Jesus. I'm not fooled by the world. You are more satisfying than anything else. I'll praise you today. I'm awake. You're my help. I'll cling to you. I can see that it's easy for you to look after me. I'm awake. I can see past my fear. I can see past the dangers of life. I'm awake to your justice. I'm awake to the fact that I can glory in you no matter what. So what is one day on earth for the Christian? With David, it's one of being awake. Awake to the reality of our glorious God and his soul-satisfying grace for us. Let's pray to him, shall we? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for waking us up this afternoon with your word, showing us what's real. Father, I pray that we would know the joy of the fact that you are our God through Christ of an intimate relationship with you. Lord, satisfy us with your love. More than anything else in this world, satisfy us with your love. May we be happy in you, even when we are suffering. Lord, take away our fear. There are difficult things in our lives right now. There are difficult things coming up this week, maybe even things we are unaware of. But you know, and we cling to you. Thank you that you have secured all of this in Jesus. By dying for us, by rising from the dead, we are your children. And we praise you for this, and we praise you in his name. Amen. Okay, we're going to sing now. We're going to sing a song which in many ways takes us through that day with God from now when we wake up to eternity. So let's stand and sing. Bless the Lord, O my soul.